Good morning, church. Times of uh, transition can often be kind of difficult. They can confuse you and be disorienting. Kind of a, a time between. Our family right now is in a, in a bit of a time of transition. We're preparing to, to move our way out to Halton and trying to figure out where we're going to look for houses and, and all these things. And you're, you're kind of always had this um, disorientation of a certain sort. It, it kind of reminds me actually of a time that we moved back in around 2009-2010 where we, we were living in Mississauga and we were moving back into Toronto. And it was a, it was a very disorienting time because there was um, construction being done in our house, digging out the basement. And so we had a number of weeks we had to be out of the house. We went to camp for a couple weeks. And then we ended up in a few of our, our friends' places, um, and a, one of them was in a, in a basement place for, for a week. And then we ended up in a one-bedroom apartment with our family uh, for a week. And i got to show you a picture here. There's me just kind of crowded in with Dominic, and we're all in that one room. Justice is in the, the little pack-and-play, and Sayla is in Mummy's belly at that time. And, and just being crowded in this place, it was, like, it was, it was uncomfortable. It, it wasn't home. We were thankful for the provision that the Lord had given to us, but we were waiting to, to go from like one place that had been home and now to, to be in, in our home. And it's not always easy to, to be in this type of place. We kind of felt like we were living in exile. We felt like we were, were in a, a place where we needed uh, to, to be, able, be able to look to the future. And so today we're going to continue to be shaped by the story that God is telling with the people of God. And we're going to look at the people of Israel as they are in exile. We're going to look at the exile files. God had had it up to here with the wickedness of his people. They had time and time again cried out to him. He would save them. And then they would just go back into worshiping other idols. They'd get into immorality. They would be abusing people and have injustice. They weren't serving him. And so eventually he allows the king of Babylon to come in. This is after, by the way, 10 tribes of Israel in the northern part of the country had already been taken away by the Assyrians and just disbanded and never to be heard from again. Now you have like two little tribes of Israel and the king of Babylon has swooped in and he's taken hold of them and he's driving them back to his house. As Christians, we should be able to identify with the exile. As many people say, actually, this is probably the time period in the history of Israel which we can most identify with. Largely because we are living in a time of exile. We're told by Peter that we are aliens and strangers in this land. We might even feel a little more strongly because as the church here in North America, we have lost the position of being a dominant voice in the culture. Things have changed. At one time, we were considered a, a Christian nation, a Christian continent, and, and that's changed. And, and in some ways, that kind of it's not easy to live with. We kind of bemoan it. It looks difficult. Maybe in one sense we never really were a Christian nation. 
But we're in this place now as the church of God in our nation where we kind of feel that this tension. We're, we're, we're far from home. It has a, a strange language, a, a strange culture. This is not our home. And as spiritual refugees of sort, we're now called to continue to be missionaries in this time between. We wait this time when we will all be living in a, a glorious place, at the return of Christ. But now we need to live as people who are in exile. And one of the best books in the Bible to, to help us understand how do we, as people of God, live in exile is the book of Daniel. And so I'd like to turn to Daniel 1 and, and, and 2 today. We're going to cover a good chunk of Scripture just to look at how the church can hear the response of the people of Israel and how we can echo that response. Daniel 1.1. 1, 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia, and he put the treasure in the house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of the court officials, to bring the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect. Handsome. Showing aptitude for every kind of learning. Well-informed. Quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name of Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And Azariah, Abednego. This is the setting. Babylon has crushed Judah. Everyone's taken away. Jerusalem uh, is, is, is in, in rubble. And Jeremiah's told them, get ready. There's going to be at least 70 years here. Buy a house, settle down, you're in exile. The king has desecrated the temple. The tabernacle is now ramshackled. They must have been thinking, like, Where, where's our God? He's taken the, the best of the people, and now he's taking them into his court. So now you basically have a very severe case of brain drain for their people. Beyond that, the king is purposely reprogramming them. So he's going to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. Now this literature, by the way, is filled with foreign gods. And they're going to learn the stories, the Epic of Gilgamesh, and, and they're going to learn all about the gods of Ur and the Chaldeans. And this is what they're studying for three years. They are in the enemy's court. And not only that, 
there is a purposeful cultural brainwashing happening. Do you notice what they do? They take them and they take their, their Hebrew names and they give them Babylonian names. They're going to drive the Hebrew out of them. Reprogram them to be good citizens worshiping the gods of Babylon. That is the exile. I know some of us, as we have our kids in school, we start to think like, are they going to be, are they going to reprogram? Now, thankfully, we have lots of good Christian teachers and we have an ability to have a voice in the shaping of our kids. But there's a sense in which we're like, I worry for my kids, like, is there, is there a brainwashing happening through the televisions? And are we continually facing a programming? And how do we respond to this? But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and the wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of the Lord my king, who's assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Notice that one of the interesting things to me is as he's in exile, one of the things Daniel is doing is, first of all, he's standing up. He's showing backbone. He is a non-conformer. He's not going to conform. And at the same time, he's doing it like in a respectful way. He's asking permission. He's respecting this official who's over him. But he is not going to conform. He is a non-conformer. He won't give in to the culture. He will not defile himself. Even with this intense pressure and death, and, and, and you could hear that answer back, well, that makes kind of sense. No, he continues. He pushes back. He comes up with a plan. And then Daniel said to the guard, whom the official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, please test your servant for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with how you see it. And so he agreed to this test. They tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. And so the guard took away their choice food and wine that they were to drink, and he gave them vegetables instead. In exile, we're called not to conform. He, he stands up for what he believes at the same time as he's caring for the official. You notice what he, we're called to in exile? We're called not to be gutless, but not to be heartless. Now, what was, why was he standing as a ground against food and drink? You kind of think, like, what does this have to do with anything? Was he just forcing them to eat pork? It's probably a little bit more than that. It was probably some of the dietary laws were being broken, but also the, this wine and this food was being dedicated to their gods. The same gods that now had all the 
the gold from God's temple now in their temple. And so one of the ways in which he's standing against this is to stand up and say, I, I, I can't worship your gods by eating the food. That's one of the questions we have to ask ourselves. How do we be nonconformers in our society that is often trying to push us away from fundamental beliefs or at least to become like socially unacceptable? How do we stand for our truth? In a world where we're told, you know, every way is equal, all things are the same, all religions are the same, how do we say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? We're called to stand our ground with love. We can't give in to the pressures. We can't let ourselves be defiled during the exile. But we have to show Christ, not conforming to the patterns of this world. But also, we'll see, Daniel also shows his God, not only by being a non-conformer, but by being a high performer. In verse 17, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding in all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of time, set up by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so they entered into the king's service in every manner of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there till the first year of King Cyrus. In exile, not only do we, as the church together, need to not conform, we also need to perform. That word sounds... a word that sometimes we don't like in the context of faith. This idea of, of being high performers. I want to point out something. These guys studied Babylonian literature for three years and they excelled beyond everyone else. They became professors of Babylonian literature. They were like doctors amongst the mockers. Do you think about God having caused them to understand the culture in which they are exiled better even than the people themselves? So how do we as the church be high performers in our culture? And, I, and we have to ask ourselves really quickly. I'm sure some of you are thinking, like, what is the danger of success? Like, are we, are we careful here? Yes, God is not only the God of the successful and the prominent. Jesus didn't die for just those who were the best at what they do. But at the same time, God does ask us, as Christians, to do the best that we can do in what we do. We're called not to be idle. Now, some are going to be brilliant and go to levels like Daniel, the best in the land. And others are going to just be plugging away like the rest of the Israelites, 
building their houses, having their kids, but doing it to the best of their ability. That is the call in exile, to, to live your life the best you can amongst the people. So then when people look at your life, they see that you are motivated by your God. So is everyone to be a high performer? Yes and no. Everyone has to do the best they can to their capacity, but not everyone is going to be in the king's service. But everyone is asked to live and serve in a culture where we are under constant spiritual attack and to live our lives in a way that others can look at them and see that we have a different motivation, that we're living in line with God. So how important is it to have skill and success? It's not, it's not extremely important, but it is important that we live our lives in ways that show God. It shows the character of God. And in the midst of this, in the midst of the church, we will see people who, who will rise and will be like Daniel's, these brighter stars. And as we live this life where we're just continually attempting to, to follow Christ in the midst of our work and our, our schooling and our families, we have this kind of final principle. We're not to be conformers. We're supposed to be performers. But also, we need to be real reformers. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. And his mind was troubled and he couldn't sleep. And so the king summoned the magicians and the enchanters and the sorcerers and the astrologers. It's a motley crew. To tell him what he had dreamed. And when they came in and they stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. And the astrologers answered the king, well, may the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we'll interpret it. And the king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut to pieces, and your houses will be turned into rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you'll receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Skipping ahead a bit, the astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. And he gets angry and says he's going to kill them all. The king here is asking for something impossible. Tell me what I dreamt last night. Some of you guys had dreams last night? Hey, tell me what I dreamt last night. You can imagine, the, the, no, this has never been asked ever of any wise man ever before. And yet he's kind of, I feel like you're, you guys are charlatans. You're hucksters. And so now, tell me my dream. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to, to put them to death. And when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had, done, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon. Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. And he asked the king's officer, 
why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went to the king and asked for time so he might interpret the dream for him. Notice what Daniel does in the midst of all this. He actually questions the king. He actually calls the king out for being ridiculous. He, he names the guy like, why is the king being ridiculous? And he explains it to him. This is the beginning of reform, by the way, when you're, when, when you're in a culture and you're in an exile, is to actually ask questions of the culture. Like, why is that happening? As Christians, as we, as we see how things continue and, and go along in our workplace, like looking at it and just kind of questioning it. Reform begins with questions. I want to point out something very interesting here. Daniel's about to put his neck on the line. And he's, going to, he's actually going to go about to try to save these men these enchanters and sorcerers and astrologers and magicians, whom, by the way, according to the law of Moses, should be executed. Isn't that interesting? And yet Daniel looks at this and he's saying, like, this is your culture. This is the way you live. And yet you're going to execute all these men for not being able to do this. And so he, he looks at this as, a, this, uh, as an opportunity to be a reformer, as an opportunity to be able to speak for God in the midst of this depraved culture. And then Daniel returned to his house and he explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I just want to point out, do you notice the text just keeps using the real names? Later on, you'll see when they, when they address them, they call them, the, the king will always call them Belteshazzar. The text is keeping their real names. The book is named the book of Daniel, not Belteshazzar. And he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And Daniel praised God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. And there's this beautiful prayer poem. So as a real reformer, Daniel sees this and he immediately takes this impossible situation and he says, God. And he gathers his, his prayer team together, gets his covcom together. Let's pray on this. And they, and they pray it over. In a, in a time of exile, prayer and praise prolong our days. They're always the things we need to return to. Prayer and praise. So it's a part of reforming a, a, a culture when we're in exile. And then Daniel went to Arioch, and the, the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon. He said to him, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I'll interpret the dream for him. So Arioch took Daniel to the king at once, and he says, listen to this, I have found a man among the exiles. I found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. And the king asked Daniel, 
also called Belteshazzar. Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Dan replied, this is exactly what they had said earlier. He says this, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he's asked about. That's, that is a ridiculous request. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream, the visions that are passed through your mind, you were laying there on the bed. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed to you what's going to happen. As for me, this mystery was revealed to me, not because I have any greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Daniel's trying to convert the king. He actually says to the king, no one can do what you asked. They were right. That was ridiculous. But there's a God who can. There's some really interesting factors here when you start to read it through. I don't know about you, but it really struck me as I, as I read through the passage that God decided to reveal the future of the world to a pagan king in a dream. Like, we all a lot of times we're like, God doesn't talk to non-Christians. Don't, don't we? That's kind of our... And I think, wait a second, you just talk to like one of probably a, a tyrannical man who's kind of got a hot head and likes to murder people. And he decides to speak to him. Here, I'm going to tell you the future. So as we talk about this idea of, of being reformers in our culture, let's be careful not to miss out on what God is already saying to people who are around you. He might be speaking. He might have a work, worker come and say, hey, I had a dream last night. That's kind of freaky. But maybe they'll say like, you know, I was thinking about this. Or what do you think about that? And you start to realize like God's already been whispering in their hearts. He's already been preparing them. So that when you can come, they'll be like, your boss, you're kind of afraid of your boss asking you a question. You're like, oh, king, live forever. And then you can explain to them what's going on in their life. Perhaps God has put you in their life just at that right time so that you can help in the reformation of, of what's happening in their own lives. You probably can think sometimes when that, this has happened. Just the right person at the right time. God's already been working in their life. He's already there. Now, they don't have the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit's working trying to whisper Jesus to them. Setting us up for opportunities. Our job as reformers is to look at what God is already doing, to be the, the connection point, kind of like connect the dots. Oh, this is happening. This is what you're thinking. And here's God. Ding. And hopefully the light will turn on. And they'll see our great God. That's exactly what happens to Daniel. Look at, look at how the king reacts. 
The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. This is Daniel saying to him. The dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. Having got into the dream, it's a long, whole other issue. The king Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel. This is the king of the greatest empire on earth bowing down to Daniel, laying in front of him. He paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. And the king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. A revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal my mystery. Daniel responded in a way that allowed God to reform this king's heart. To, to speak some truths that were just apparent. Now, does he pull back on that later? And God is revealed to this prince of the world by like a slave in exile. Daniel accomplishes this reform. And I think sometimes we need to recognize, it might see, seem pretty big obstacles, this culture, and wondering, like, how can we make any type of dent? Imagine a slave standing before a king. They'll speak a truth that does reform a heart. He's actually able to change his culture. Notice he also, he saved the lives of all these sorcerers and magicians and Enchanters. I want to point out something very interesting because we as Christians sometimes, we want to take our, our revenge, it feels like, on those sorcerers and you know, those people who are pushing against the church. And it's natural feeling. But look at, look at Daniel does. He saves their lives. And they return later on to try to kill him again. Repay his kindness with evil. So we as a church, as we just got to watch in our hearts, how, where, where are we being loyal? As exiles, are, are we just only raging against the king? Now, I know there is a rage that comes, and you see it in the Psalms even against the kings and against Babylon. But do we take it into our own hand, or do we ask, Lord, what is our action? Well, our action is actually to be there reforming, be there helping show God in the midst of, of the darkness. Daniel's able to actually change his culture. He questions the strictness of the edict. He boldly proclaims Yahweh as the, the highest God. He, he sees the king, who is the most powerful person in the world, bow down before God. He becomes one of the most powerful men in the kingdom, it says. He and his friends end up being rulers over this whole vast empire. In exile, we as Christians are likewise the call to be these culture shapers, these movers and shakers of a certain sort. When I, when I think of this story today, I just kind of think of it like, who's, who's a kind of a modern Daniel? Again, we're not all going to be Daniel. But who's, that, who's had this kind of inspiring story who's been able to stand up in an empire that's standing against God and being able to be a voice? And, and I, I thought of Steph Curry, any basketball fans out there? A few. <laughs> NBA MVP last year. Probably one of the best players the league's seen. 
And he, and he was offered like some shoe deals from Nike and all these places. And he wanted to get a Bible verse on, on his shoe. And they were like, no, no. And so he finally said, okay. And he went with some other company and got, got his Bible verse on his shoe. And people look at him, and, and, and whenever they ask him questions, he speaks boldly about his Christian faith. I was like, here's a guy who's like being a Daniel. Not afraid to, to speak the truth in love in a culture that elevates his position to this high spot, and then he's able to use it as a place of reform. Now, we're not all going to be Daniels. We're not all going to be Steph Currys, although we've had dreams, I'm sure, as kids. But we all can look at that and recognize how can I, in my place, make sure that I don't conform? That I perform in a way worthy of my God. And that I can help reform the darkness around me. And we do this together as a collective. I think that's really important. Daniel had his, his team. He had his CovCom. He had his church. Dex, as a community together, they were to be this light. They recognize everyone together performing this role in the midst of Babylon that, that, so that eventually the people of God are released by King Cyrus and allowed to return just because he recognizes that there is a true God. So yeah, the, the, we're in a time of transition. The, the church is in a time of transition in North America. We're in this time between where we used to feel like the, the Christian voice was very powerful. And now we're in a post-Christian world. That transition can be very difficult. And what are we called to do? Are we just called to nostalgia and, and anger and to try to grasp the past? Or do we as a team in our culture continue to pray, continue to stand up when we're given our choices? We're going we're gonna to be called. We're going to be called to be Nonconformist, that sometime in your life you are going to have to say no to the wine and meat. We're at some time in, in your workplace going to be called to perform and just push, even though the rest of the crew may be slacking. And you, as a Christian, are going to be called to be that voice of reform and actually to, to speak up. And at that, at that moment, there's that one person who says that thing to you, and you're, there's this open window. God's giving you this opportunity, and you're going to step into that and be called to be a reformer. And this will always bring glory to God, not to yourself, not to your church, not to you. Always to bring glory to God. So now that we're in this place, what do we do as we are a people in exile, longing for the return of Christ? Well, we're going to go about our jobs and our lives with our character and integrity. And as the opportunities open up, we're going to show who we are because we don't conform. We're going to show who Jesus is because we do our best to perform. And God will change people's hearts because we are dedicated to reform. The church has no need to look at itself and feel self-sorry because we don't have our once great glory. 
we have an opportunity to let our lives be shaped by the story. I think about Christ as he faced his time of transition, where he's going from this place where he's on earth with his 12 disciples, and he's facing his death, and, he, and he's going to face this next life. And he's in, he's in this tension. And it's not easy. It's not easy to be a people next level. It's not easy to be facing this kind of moment of difficulty. So we have, we have our, our, our Lord in, in the garden just weaving blood, but willing to, to, to give himself, recognizing what it is that we need. He recognizes that in order to get through this time of exile, we're going to need that, that, that food, that meal to keep us healthy. We're going to need that continual replenishment of energy to help us get through the time of exile. And so he offers up his body. He says, this is my body broken for you. And he offers up the cup and he says, this, this is my blood poured out for you. As often as you eat this bread and you drink from this cup, you proclaim that Christ will return. As we come to the table today, I'm going to ask, uh, there's little cards here, little green cards. We're doing these two-line stories where we're writing our own story shaped by the story of Scripture. So I'm just going to ask you to take a moment Reflect, and the first thing we're going to ask you for the first line to be, a time I was asked to compromise my faith was, or maybe is. Time I was asked to compromise my faith was. I write that line of your story. And then the second line will be, a non-conforming, reforming response would be? What is, it? what is the response? Maybe the response you've already made in that light? Or a response you feel like the Lord is maybe calling to you in the midst of your situation right now? As you come to the table, as you partake, just leave it, your, your card there as we continue to write the story that God's writing in our hearts and our lives. We pray. God, it's not easy to be a people in exile. It's not easy to be in transition and waiting from one place to the next and in that, that middle tension. I ask anyone who maybe right now is feeling that especially acutely, the pressure, the pressure to conform, I pray that you'd Open their eyes to a way forward. Lord, as we come to the table, I, I pray that you, you bless this weekly response to your grace. I pray you remind us that we're not alone in the midst of our exile, that you have forgiven us from the ways in which we have conformed, the ways we haven't performed, 
the way which we've been brainwashed rather than reforming. And you free us from that. You allow us to stand before you through the blood of Christ, clean, shining, and ready to be used as you continue to write our story. Amen.